Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on how to take good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is Bullying affects children and adults. How this can be approached. My guest is Morag Skordelis, clinical social worker from Cape Town. Welcome, Morag. It's so good to have you on the show again. Thank you, and it's, it's great to participate. To our listeners, after our conversation, Morag will give us her three best tips on dealing with bullying, and then it will be fun question time. Morag, you've worked extensively with children of all ages and you work with adults. Is bullying something you often see in your private practice? It's something that I have seen on a regular basis throughout my career. Um, and it certainly does come up um, as part of my private practice. Um, very often that's not what people present with. But as you go along, you actually start realizing that it has very often been part of their experience and the way they approach relationships or the way that um, the, the kind of experience of being bullied has impacted um, affects um, either their sense of self and how secure they feel about things or how they are in relationships. Yeah, so perhaps we don't always realize what bullying means. So could you tell us how you would define bullying? Okay, I think first off, um, bullying by its very nature is a multifaceted beast. It has many aspects and um, presents itself in so many different ways and so many different settings. And very often the language and the words that we use um, almost become a bit of a cover-up for the fact that it is actually bullying. And that usually happens when we are looking at the adult version, when we start referring to hazing with university students at first year, you know, ontgroening, mm. um, or harassment in the workplace, or a boss that nitpicks to the extent that the person is so unhappy that they move on. So the words become different um, once we see um, a form of bullying in the adult world. And I think the most important thing for me around bullying is that at the very heart of bullying, there is always either a perceived or a real imbalance of power. So a real imbalance of power would be um, your boss actually using bullying tactics um, because they are in a position of power over you. Perceived power might be something like somebody who's very popular um, or is physically not particularly aggressive but is large and the victim is intimidated by that. So physical strength is one of the aspects. Access to embarrassing information, especially in today's world of technology, where you can so easily put a really embarrassing photograph of somebody on, um, and everybody's laughing except the victim. Um, and I, I often say, especially to teenagers, it's only a joke if all of us are laughing, not if when we are laughing at someone. And 
this kind of popularity thing is is very often a situation with adolescents, but you do see it sometimes in social circles of adults too. And these forms of power are used to control or harm or hurt other people. And I think one of the descriptions of bullying that that really struck me was many years ago when I was working at a school, I did a lot of preventive work and I went into a grade eight class and we were dealing with with bullying. And I asked the girls to write down their definition and then we swapped them all out so nobody was reading their own and would feel embarrassed about it if they thought it was wrong. And one young lady said something to the effect of, bullying is when someone makes you feel less about who you are as a person. And I think for me, I've never forgotten that. It really nailed it. That really is a powerful one for me. The American Psychological Association defines bullying as a form of aggressive behavior in which someone intentionally, in other words, knowingly and with the the intent of hurting, embarrassing or whatever, and repeatedly causes another person injury or discomfort. Now, the repeatedly, I would question because I do think Although in many cases, it certainly is repeated behavior, either with the same person or in the same situation. But I think it can be a once-off. I don't think that because it's only happened once, it's not bullying. And where it's a once-off, if one speaks to the person, explains what it is and what it's doing, and you can see some degree of remorse and it doesn't happen again, it probably wasn't bullying because it wasn't intentional. Yeah. So it's an easier way to define um, what it is in a sense. And of course, bullying can take lots of different formats. It can be physical contact. And we tend to think that that doesn't happen anymore. But not too many years ago, I had a group of adolescents who had somebody in the group that they just, oh, she didn't fit in and they didn't like her. And a group of girls physically picked this one girl up, stuffed her in a dirt bin on the way down to the station and put the lid on her. So don't think that that doesn't happen anymore. Um, It can take that physical kind of um, contact, but it can also be via words, even just sniggering and laughing, kind of more subtle actions. And a bully can be a child. Think of um, a very large boy on the playground who bullies other kids, takes their lunch money or runs off whatever with their school bag. Many years ago, I had an older junior school child who landed up being sent to me because she kept coming to school without her school bag. And the teachers were getting really annoyed about it because they thought maybe she was avoiding handing work in and so on. Turns out this poor, rather odd and eccentric and different young lady was being targeted by the kids in the class and was just so delighted when a group of them kind of paid her a bit of attention and spoke to her, but not knowing behind her back, somebody was grabbing her bag, running off to what they called fairyland, the far end of the playground with bushes and trees and hiding her bag. And the poor child would run around the whole day looking for her bag and trying to explain what had, what had happened. Um, so it can happen in, in that kind of a way. It can be a colleague. It can be a boss. Um, it can be a, a very controlling romantic partner. 
or I think we all know this one, a high-pressured salesman or business person that really bullies you into buying or agreeing to something you really don't want, but just to get rid of them, you go along and do it. It could also just be a condescending family member situation where, for example, somebody is the youngest, the baby in the family, and as soon as there's anything important, either the actual words or the kind of intention of them is, oh, you're the baby. You've got nothing to say. Nothing that you say is important, so just keep quiet. Or it can also just be a kind of a shaming social acquaintance where somebody laughs and makes a mockery of you and you just feel really embarrassed and everybody else lands up laughing, but it's really hurtful to you. Yeah, you've mentioned so many practical examples. I think many of us can identify some things which have happened to us. Uh, do you want to say something more about where and when bullying happens? Huh. Yes. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow. It is unbelievable how people find ways to bully. So we certainly would find it on the playground, in the classroom, sometimes quite openly, but you might also find that the bully is quite um, clever and would follow somebody to the end of the far end of the playground where they're not seen or in the bathroom um, and kind of go about it that way. It certainly can happen at work um, in any setting whatsoever. It can most definitely be found in the corporate world. And if, if you um, Google that on YouTube, you'll find a whole lot of information around the corporate psychopath, which is a whole different level. Mm. And then it happens amongst groups of people as well as one-on-one. Um, and I think any situation in which the perpetrator, the bully, feels a sense of power over their victim would make for an opportunity And it can be very subtle. Many years ago, I went to take a message to a teacher. I was working at a school and I'd seen a child who was explaining how her peers were treating her, really just excluding her. Um, they'd, They'd make dates and not invite her. They'd meet in groups to do their work and she was always left out on her own. And she explained to me what was going on and I walked down the passage and they hadn't realized that I knew what was happening. And I saw this young lady walking towards me and the victim was walking just ahead of me. And I just saw this girl roll her eyes and the whole little group of girls with her started laughing. I called her out on it right there and then. And of course, the explanation was, I wasn't doing anything of the sort. I had something in my eye and I was just getting rid of it. Mm. So it can be quite difficult to to pin the bullying down. Yes. Um, but bullying can happen absolutely anywhere. It can happen one-on-one, but it can quite easily happen within groups. And part of the reason for that is that the large group has a particular psychological um, effect on us. The the, um, group mentality means that we easily lose our sense of individuality and our sense of accountability and conscience. And we very easily get swept up in the group and what's going on. And we will do things that we would never dream of doing one-on-one or face-to-face because you lose your sense of individuality and accountability. And we see this, for example, in um, cults and so on, where people do things that they just get caught up in 
with the large group and wouldn't otherwise do. So those kinds of groups, whether it's a group of children at school, a peer group, just going along, and often they don't quite realise or they are a little bit frightened that if I intervene, I'm the next victim. So best I just keep quiet and put up with it. And I think adults are not very different in a lot of ways. We are frightened to stand up to a boss um, when they you know, pull somebody out in, in an open meeting and demean and belittle them because if I do that, then I'm going to be in the same position. So um, it can happen in absolutely any situation, openly or in private spaces such as bathrooms or at the end of the school field, um, as long as there's the possibility that the bully feels that they have a sense of power and that the victim is disempowered in a sense. Would you like to mention the different elements that comprise bullying? Yes, certainly. Um, I just want to add something at this point, having talked about where it happens and the definition. And it's an ancient um, Chinese proverb that I really love. And it just very simply goes like this, behind the smile, a hidden knife. And I think that very much sums up certainly girl bullying, in my experience, but also very often the kind of corporate situation um, where you would meet somebody and this, this boss seems very well presented and so on until you cross them or you've worked with them long enough to see their true colours. Um, in terms of the different elements that comprise bullying, first of all, there are three players in this game, if you like. The one is the, the bully, the perpetrator. The other is the victim. And then, of course, we often don't realise the bystanders. And the bystanders can be very powerful because they are the ones that can blow the whistle, that can call the person on it or actually distance themselves from it. And people don't realise that very often until you start talking about it. Very often bystanders are unaware, but also sometimes quite frightened that if I intervene, I'm going to be on the receiving end. Um, or there's an attitude of don't get involved, it's not my battle. And while that happens, bullying is free to grow. I think, as I've said, at the heart of bullying is this imbalance of power between the bully and the victim. There is a very definite intention. They mean to demean, belittle, harm, humiliate, um, create fear, drive fear into the other person, or ensure compliance by others by exerting their power over them. And the bully makes the victim feel very powerless. However, in what they're doing, the bully feels very powerful and in control. And it's that element of power and control that is really at the heart of bullying. The actual act of bullying, whatever it is that they're doing, sometimes also serves the purpose of displaying and showing others how powerful the bully is kind of displaying, putting their power status on show for others to see. There's a slightly different, I almost want to say in inverted commas, slightly more sinister perspective, and that is the um, kind of corporate psychopath who is a bully at an adult level in a corporate environment, and that's about a personality who really has no concern or feeling no 
element of guilt whatsoever and will almost enjoy what they are doing. But that's a whole different level of bullying in an adult world. Listening to you, I've realized that bullying can be overt and direct or it could be covert. Could you perhaps explain? Yes, sure. The overt is out in the open. So it's the um, shaming of somebody, tripping them, doing something that you're not hiding. Um, and then very often they will laugh and joke about it and do it in that way. But the one that is very much more difficult to deal with and to, to pin down particularly is the aspect of the covert bullying. Um, and this is bullying that happens quietly and unobtrusively. The girl who rolls her eyes and then if she does get caught says, no, 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 I had something in my eye. Mm. Also, the type of person who goes around in a social environment, often women, um, I believe, who create alliances um, to exclude or pressure one individual. And, you know, they would walk around and say things, and, and teenagers as well as adults here, walk around and say, you know, Mariette, when your back is turned, Morag says this and that about you, and it's really not nice. And they go around and they kind of get people worked up about things and in doing so set them up against the person that they are targeting. Um, and my response to that is always, and I, I say this to both adults and adolescents alike, if somebody says that to you, well, what are you doing about it? Go and talk to them and don't tell me, tell them that it's not okay. Mm. Very quickly put the, the responsibility back with that particular person. We also sometimes develop emotional damage from this kind of covert bullying and leaves enormous scars. It is crafty and insidious and underhand, and it's really difficult to pin down. So it's difficult to stop. And the damage can be enormous um, with that kind of bullying. It's almost a little bit easier with that um, very clear overt bullying where you can see it and you know what it is and everybody knows exactly what it is. There's an added level when it's this underhanded kind of bullying, you know, the kind of thing where somebody will stand up in a group of people and make a negative joke at somebody else's expense. Everybody's laughing except the individual you've targeted. Um, things like certain kinds of sarcasm, just very simple facial expressions and gestures, mimicking and ridiculing people deliberately. Um, and that kind of is almost a form of sabotage as well as bullying. And it seems to me you find uh, bullying in all age groups then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it doesn't fit the picture of our traditional belief that it's kids on the playground. Mm. I have a little now four-year-old granddaughter who <laughs> was targeted by um, a friend at, at school and got bitten and then pushed and all sorts of things. And that they were then three. And the hitting and the biting and the clobbering, however, at that age, I would not class as bullying. I think that's behavioural. Mm. However, what I am very firm on, and I believe everybody, all parents should be teaching their children, is that we started saying to her, 
you tell that boy, no, stop. And we do it very loudly and shout, I don't like that. Because A, it draws attention um, to what is happening and somebody can come and help. And secondly, it starts teaching kids that they can actually have a voice and they can say when they don't like something. And I think that stands them in good stead later on when it really is bullying. <laughs> and that came back in a strange way. Um, she was in the pool with her grandfather and he did something and the water splashed in her face. And she yelled very loudly, no, stop, I don't like that. <laughs> but if not developed the voice like that, you have the underpinnings of self-esteem and tools that will help them be able to deal with kids that do try and bully. At a junior school level, children certainly are able and do display bullying behavior. Very often a child who's a little bit different or odd might be targeted, like my little um, girl that was had her bag hidden in fairyland. As they get older, very often, and particularly the girls, use exclusion from the group. So, for example, they don't like little Susie, and then they whisper amongst each other, or these days they very often WhatsApp each other, and they say, we're not going to sit in our usual place, we're going to go down the end of the garden or somewhere else. And they keep changing where they go so that this poor child can never find them. And that's kind of junior school. The boys tend to be more overt and upfront in the way that, that they bully. Um, I think boys, in, in a sense, it's very often a little bit easier to see and to deal with, whereas the girls tend to cover it up and dress it up. And then, of course, adults very much can be bullies too. It's often based in adulthood on actual power imbalance. It's your boss, for example. Um, so, for example, in a setting where you are told that you need to draw up something as somebody in my profession that you will divulge information on the people that you've seen to the boss. And the person said, no, I can't do that. That's that's not ethical. And it was left right there. And you think, okay, I get the feeling that's going to come back to bite me. And sure as heck, two weeks later, called in, was at a point where the contract had to be renewed for the next two years and was very simply told, I'm just calling you to say we're not renewing your contract. Sometimes there will be a consequence, but what is going to be worse? I think one has to kind of weigh up and A, make sure that you are safe and safety both in a physical sense as well as in a professional sense. Somebody in... in um, a psychologist or a social worker in those professions has got a very basic ethical requirement. And to go against that, one just has to absolutely know that you can't do that. You're going to get your ducks in a row and make sure that you get out of the situation rather than stay there and be targeted um, and agree to doing something that is not ethical or legal. So bullying really does come in all shapes and forms and sizes and ages. Mm. Now, Morag, you once mentioned that previous generations' experience of bullying was different from today. Yes, indeed. If I think back to when I was at school, as I always say, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> I can recall sitting 
actually hiding slightly behind a bush and seeing a group of girls gang up and I remember them counting, one, two, three, go, and the two groups charged at each other, and they came away with handfuls of hair. It was absolutely frightening to, to see. I think in, in years gone by, bullying wasn't nearly as covert and underhand, and we certainly didn't have the technology that we have today, and therein, I think, lies the big difference. We have cell phones, we have the internet, um, you go in to your place of work or your school or wherever you are and you are bullied in person at that particular place. But in years gone by, we could then leave school and come home and it was gone and that was it. And you had a couple of hours of relative peace and safety. Today, the bully follows you and intrudes right into your home and your private safe space. Nothing is safe anymore. And I think the emotional and psychological damage of that 24-7 intrusiveness is incredibly dangerous and um, difficult. And it really does make life hard in a lot of ways. They can do all sorts of silly things, especially teenagers, but adults as well. Um, so I think the big difference for me is that dinosaurs could go to their cave and sleep and get their strength back for the next round. Today, we don't have a break. It follows you 24-7 in all sorts of formats. Could you please talk about the different types of bullying? There are a number of different forms of bullying. The first is the physical type of bullying. You know, the, the hitting, using a lunchbox to smack Susie over the head repeatedly, pushing somebody out of the way to get ahead of them in line, um, a, a certain school for um, cerebral palsy, there were also children who didn't have what they called vehicles, who weren't in wheelchairs and were a little bit jealous. And the kids would bully the children in wheelchairs because they were feeling a bit jealous by putting their feet in front and making them fall out. So all sorts of physical forms of, of bullying. And then, of course, verbal bullying, saying um, and writing or gesticulating mean th kinds of things, um, teasing somebody, making a joke at the expense of the other person, name-calling, just belittling somebody, uh, making inappropriate jokes and kind of laughing at rather than laughing with. It also could mean inappropriate sexual comments. And then, of course, taunting, mocking, provoking somebody, repeatedly kind of saying something. I, I think of... Um, a young man who said to me as a child, his father had a terrible temper and he would go up to him and say, come on, hit me, hit me. I know you want to hit me, trying to get him to lose it and hit him so that he had a reason to hit back. Um, that is a form of bullying, threatening to cause harm. And here I always laugh a little bit. I had a group of girls one day at high school. I think they were grade nine or so. And they came to see me about something. And one of the girls had an aunt teaching at the junior school of the same school that I was working at. And she didn't particularly like what I had to say. And I remember this little blonde, blue-eyed girl pulling herself up to her full height and informing me, you know, my aunt works at the junior school. And I acted completely dumb and said, oh, I do know that, yeah. 
so and really made her work for it. And in the end, she spat out that she was going to tell her aunt and report me. Mm. So even in that kind of silly sense, children think that they have a form of power. But certainly it can be very much worse with older children, older teenagers and adults. And very often with adults, there is a very real form of power that can be used to, to make a threat. And then, of course, there's the social and relational bullying. Um, it might include hurting someone's reputation or their relationships, you know, going around saying, you know, so-and-so keep saying this behind your back or just leaving somebody out on purpose. So we're all going out to the steakhouse tonight, but we leave you, we start a private little WhatsApp group and we leave you out. But of course you're going to see it because we're going to post pics on wherever, on social media, and you'll see that you were left out. Um, and very often the victim just doesn't dare ask, but that's when they'll present and start talking about it. Telling somebody not to be friends with another person, um, and it does happen with adults, but I have a particular young nine-year-old who had another child at school who had severe problems and was on the spectrum, so it was, was quite difficult. And one has to try and teach them that some people have very real problems. But this child would not allow her friend to have any other friends, never wanted her to sit at, during break time with other friends or go out to play dates with other friends, kind of very, very controlling in a sense. And then if she did anything like go and sit with them or try to go and have a play date, she would have a total tantrum, a meltdown, and very often the teacher wouldn't know the whole story and then would be very cross with, with my um, patient for causing this and being mean. And, you know, one needs to kind of be aware of that kind of thing, even when there are difficulties. And sometimes that might mean pulling other adults in like a teacher and saying, look, you need to be aware this is what is happening. I'm teaching a child to create boundaries. And then the other thing that is very powerful is spreading rumours about people, very often totally based on nothing at all. And embarrassing somebody in public, I think, is, is a very social form of bullying. Just making you feel silly in front of other people can be very, very disempowering. The eye-rolling would, would be a physical... Um, type of bullying in a sense, but also very underhand, so difficult to to pin down. And I think that's about, yeah, it's mm. the physical, the social, um, and the kind of verbal and emotional aspects of bullying. Would you like to say something about the intent of bullying behaviour? I said earlier on that in a once-off incident, when one deals with it first time round, if you see a sense of remorse, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think that wasn't very nice, and it doesn't happen again, it's probably not bullying. Not always, but probably not bullying. Bullying is deliberate. It is willfully, intentionally, and knowingly done. And the act of bullying is very deliberately aimed at causing hurt, harm, or embarrassment to another individual. It's putting somebody down, making them feel small and powerless at their expense, making yourself feel powerful and in control. Um, so for me, bullying is something that's deliberate. The person knows they're doing it and they choose to do it. If it is not their intention 
to hurt, exclude, etc. You can be sure that once you've dealt with it, you're probably not going to see it again, and that wouldn't be bullying. So when there's a trend or a history of behaviours, often in different settings or with different individuals, the repeated behaviour is often a, a good indicator that they are doing it purposefully and that it's now become a pattern of behaviour. And really at the heart of it, the intention of bullying is to make myself feel more powerful and in control. And I do this by making the victim feel less powerful or powerless. Um, and I came across a lovely little cartoon, believe it or not, of Winnie the Pooh, where Winnie the Pooh is sitting on a gate. Now, Winnie the Pooh is a tiny little stuffed bear, and he's leaning over to pull Piglet up. And the caption said, really strong people don't push you down, they pull you up. And I think that's a good way of understanding what the intention is around bullying and, and defining what the act is. Yeah, that makes it very clear. Is there anything else you'd like to say about why people res resort to bullying? There are sometimes experiences from the past, even if I think of my little three-year-old at the time, granddaughter, after she had been bitten, hit, whatever, um, we started seeing aggressive behavior coming from her hitting out. So it can be that they are bullying because they've had it modeled. They grow up with that kind of behavior. They might be bullying to maintain their social status, their power, or to try and raise or elevate their power within their, their kind of social group. Um, often with bullying, they show their allegiance to the group and do it to try and solidify their control and their power in the group. They might just simply be excluding others from the group or harming others simply because they enjoy doing that kind of thing and don't think there's anything wrong with it. Some of it is about controlling the behavior of their peers particularly with teenagers and I think also with adults in, the, in terms of a work situation with the boss. I think when other people around you see very powerful bullying behavior, it strikes fear into their hearts. And that means that you control them. You've got them in your pocket and they're not going to step out of line because they see what happens when you step out of line. Um, some people really do come from families also where they see bullying types of behavior in the adults, aggression or violence or whatever. I once had a situation where a child at a certain school um, had bullied another child and had come up and I'd had to report it. And I had to go up and meet with the principal and the parents and I saw the parents' behavior and I thought, my goodness, no wonder their daughter behaves like this. The mother had literally tried to bully me and later had really kind of almost bullied the principal and put fear into them that they were going to do this, that, and the next thing. And of course, their child was guilty without doubt, so they wouldn't actually have had much recourse. But to the extent that the principal almost tried to insist that I had to write a letter and apologize and sign it. 
And of course, I very simply said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. But you see that kind of behavior modeled in a parent and you just think, well, no wonder the child behaves like that. So role modeling um, is certainly one of the reasons that the children might behave like that. There is one uh, stream of thought that says that um, people who bully sometimes are almost a bit jealous of the other person and want something of what they've got. And so they treat them in this way out of jealousy or that they dislike something in the person that reflects something of themselves. And I think that's getting into a much different, deeper level. It's, it's completely possible that that could be so. But again, at the basis, if you think of power imbalance, a person who behaves in this way and needs that kind of power and control, really at, at the heart of it has a strong feeling of insecurity and low self-esteem. No matter what it looks like, they might not seem like they're insecure or have low self-esteem. But I do think that bullies are feeling very small and insecure about themselves. And then that is the reason for the bullying. Thank you. Now let's get back to the individual being bullied. Which signs should parents look out for if they suspect their child is being bullied? So first off, and this applies not just to bullying, but just to general mental health, any significant changes in your child or your adolescent, um, you know, slinking off on their own, really looking down, any significant change should never be ignored. And you need to build up a relationship that allows you to be able to talk and communicate with your child in order to be able to get to that. But more specifically, things like unexplained bruises. I think of a child who at junior school level was friends with a set of identical twins. And she would get to school quite early. And these jolly twins, one would hold her because they were big and uh, the other child was quite um, small in stature and they would hold her against the wall and the other one would kick and hit her. And there were these bruises on her legs. And when she came home, mom then asked, and this is what came out, that they'd been bullying her. Um, you know, things like they would walk past um, somebody's desk on the way to handing a book in and the person would repeatedly kick them. You might see bruises. A child who comes back from school hungry. Now, look, some kids, especially boys, are always hungry. But if they are more hungry than usual, if they're very quiet, that kind of thing, if it's unusual, just start thinking and talking and discussing and opening the door for them to be able to tell you. Um, a child can also act out. So if you start seeing aggressive behavior or, you know, negative behavior that you don't normally see, is a good sign that there's something going on. On the other hand, children can also completely withdraw. So it goes back to what I said earlier on around anything that is out of the ordinary should actually be understood. I think that one of the most important things to look out for is anything that changes that is out of the ordinary. Um, it might even include a younger child starting to wet themselves again or not being able to go to sleep. And they've been completely dry or sleeping well. So anything out of the ordinary is, is a jolly good sign that you need to be 
looking out for what is happening. That makes a lot of sense. But uh, why don't kids ask for help? Adolescents particularly are at the stage where developmentally they are needing to separate from, from parents and family and become independent. So sometimes it is simply around that need for independence. Children might also think, I don't want to bother mom. I don't want to give her more worries, particularly if there's something else going on at home. A parent who is ill, financial stuff, financial worries at the moment with COVID. I don't want to add to their worries. Um, and even kind of younger kids, not just adolescents, might actually think that far. They might feel a bit silly and, you know, feel that that kind of powerlessness and how how bad the bully makes them feel is going to be seen and understood as them being a bit silly or wimpy or whatever. So that sometimes is a very large part of it. And then sometimes children misinterpret things, even slightly older kids. And I think of a young boy who went all the way through junior school being horribly bullied. He was at a school that his mom taught at, never said a word. Because firstly, older brother was brilliant and always shining. He had, he certainly is, is a bright boy, but he wasn't nearly as bright as his brother. He, you know, stood out because he played music as well and so was targeted. And he had always understood that his parents felt that it was not okay to stand up for yourself. What they had been saying is, it's, it's not cool to hit and to be aggressive. And he had misinterpreted what they had said. He had a black belt in karate, this guy. Grade nine, what they do is if the boys have a haircut, as they walk past and they're kind of likely to be one that's bullied, the other guys hit them hard on the back of the head. And he was telling me about this. He'd, he'd come for stuff around fears and severe panic attacks we started talking about this and he then actually went home and chatted to dad and dad had said, no, 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 no. If you throw the first punch because you're just absolutely angry and, you know, having an outburst, that is not okay. Somebody hurts you, you stand up for yourself. I will back you all the way into the principal's office and out. And we cleared that up and this hitting on the back of the head after having a haircut happened shortly after that. And this guy turned around and grabbed the boy who had done it and took him down to the floor, didn't hurt him, and said, you don't do that again. And it didn't happen for the rest of last year when I saw him. So sometimes it really is a misinterpretation of something on the side of, of kids. Yeah, your example now has shown me once again how... Helpful it is when parents realise what's going on and when they when they get in possibly with professional help to to get the child some help. Absolutely. And just keeping the doors open to talk to your kids um, so that you can be sure that they're not misinterpreting and that you know what's going on. Morag, what should be taken into consideration when someone is targeted by a bully? I think, first of all, it's really important to just sort out what is happening. So to start out by talking it through, because sometimes it is misinterpreted. 
And apart from that, just talking the situation through gives you a really good picture, A, of what is happening, what might be happening, and how the person perceives it. Um, and how we perceive something can be very different from how it is. But that does not change the fact that that is how it feels like to the individual. So talking it through is vitally important. I think then once we've got that clear, we can start discussing and educating and very often just throwing around ideas. Could it be that? Maybe this person is feeling that or maybe this. And they will very often, oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. So those are just very simple ways of just teasing things out and sorting through. But then in addition to that, we need to move on to explain what bullying is and why people bully. Um, that, that people make themselves feel bigger, better, more powerful by making somebody else feel smaller. And just explaining that very often helps a lot. And then move on to teaching strategies to cope according to age. So with a little four-year-old, stop. I don't like that. Don't do it. Very simply. Um, giving them words is really important because even teenagers, sometimes even adults, will say, I don't know how to say that to them, partly because they're worried about what is and isn't okay and what's going to be. And sometimes I've had adults who stop me and say, wait, 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 hold on, let me get a pen. I want to write that down. So just simply giving words will often help. The education also will move on to talking about boundaries. And this is for children, adults and adolescents alike. What are boundaries? It's okay to have your own boundaries. Everybody has a different take on it. And you need to know what you're comfortable with and what is not okay. And we need to work out how we keep our boundaries and how we actually deal with people who keep crossing them. And I think that's quite an important aspect of, of educating people around dealing with bullying. I think also when you're in a situation as an adult when you are facing a boss who is very, very powerful, it's important to talk it through with somebody and get an objective view of things and then to actually very practically look at, can I carry on like this? How am I going to ensure my safety? Because sometimes that is, especially when it's relationships, and even there with adolescents sometimes, um, they have to be sure that they are keeping themselves safe, first and foremost, and then plan accordingly. Um, if I cannot live with this, I've got to start looking for another job, or how am I going to learn to live with this? And keeping a paper trail is sometimes important as well. I think the other thing, particularly with adults, because they will have had time to build up a pattern of behaviour, is to look at patterns of behaviour. And sometimes this might tie in with their position in the family. And what um, has happened is that they develop a template from which they work as a result of, for example, being the baby, being the youngest child. I think of somebody who's the youngest child of four and 
you know, would often get this kind of brushed off. Ugh, you've got nothing of value to say, you know. You yes, noch die Baba kind of, why must we listen to you kind of thing. And then that started carrying over into her job at which she was very successful. But the absolute panic and anxiety that she felt when she had to do presentations which always were very good and the feedback was good, but the anxiety when she had to do the presentations to people in power positions above her seemed to go straight back to that template of feeling completely bullied into her position. Um, so I think those are, are really important aspects of understanding bullying in, in that situation. Yeah, and they're very practical. So when a child who is being bullied is brought into your practice, how do you approach it? I always spend the first session or two just simply getting to know the individual and making them feel comfortable and building up a relationship of trust before you even start dealing with the problem. Because especially with bullying, if they feel they can trust you, and they can say anything in any way they like. They're not going to worry about whether they look stupid or whatever. Remember, if they've been bullied, they have lost their sense of power. So you want to make them feel that they've got some control and that they are going to be listened to and be given attention and focus just for who they are. So first off, just start with that. And then again, hearing the story. Uh, making sure there's no misinterpretation, looking at all the different aspects of it um, and taking time to make sure that they understand that you're listening and taking them seriously. Again, education, just asking them, do they want to understand more and see how this works and what they can do? And I would then very often at this stage move into um, talking about the fight, flight or freeze response, and very often with bullying, it's the freeze that we get into. We just absolutely are frozen. We don't know what to do. Do I run away? Do I fight back or whatever? And getting them just to understand that. And I saw a young chap, I think two years ago, who was referred to me from uh, junior school. I think he was grade six because he had frequent outbursts of huge huge anger, never really hurt anybody, but had absolute meltdown anger. And he was just delightful. He was gorgeous. He was physically fit. He was bright. And in the first session, I said to him, can you remember the first time you ever felt this really, really bad anger? And he thought for a moment and he said, you know, it was in preschool. We had a little hat and we had dress-up clothes and I went in and I put the gingerbread man costume on and I ran out and said to the other boys, I'm the gingerbread man, catch me if you can. And they ran and they played, break over, went back in to get changed and he said, then I opened the door and the boys were holding the door closed from the outside so that he couldn't get out. And he said to me, I was so angry. No, I wasn't angry. I was terrified. And terrified is part of the fight or flight response. We can either run away, which is anxiety, or we can fight. And in order to fight, what happens? We need that anger response. And that was already half the battle won. So just educating and explaining 
is really important. Helping them to understand that if they shift their boundaries, um, often other things change. We sometimes don't have power to change other people, but when we change what we're doing and how we are, they kind of almost are forced to fall in line. The other part of that is that sometimes we need to explain to children particularly, but also sometimes adolescents, that changing your game plan. So if you've put something in place in terms of your boundaries, if you then decide, well, it suits me today to go and play with you, but generally I don't want to because you try to force me not to play with anybody else, that's going to muddy the waters. And so helping them to think through what they're doing and when it's okay and when it's not okay. Um, and I might then actually work around some of those things as well. If there's a, a particular fear around bullying, I might use brain working recursive therapy to help them cope with that. But very often one doesn't even have to go that far. Once you've talked it through and you've given them the information and helped them to absorb it, um, very often that makes the difference that you need. And are there tools that you can give a child to help them deal with bullying? Um, I think that first of all, what one needs to do is just help them to just get the experience of somebody listening to them. I think that children also need to know that they can trust the adults, that if I go to somebody, they're not just going to send me away, they are going to listen to me. And so to set up a situation where they can actually trust somebody that they go to, because there's going to be nothing worse than a child telling somebody uh, or telling me, and then I speak to the teacher and the teacher actually is annoyed with what has happened. So that's the first part of just making it safe. And one of the things that I believe is really important, and this needs to happen long before a child ever experiences bullying, is to teach a child about their boundaries and their voice. And that story that I spoke about the four-year-old, stop, don't do that. When you talk out loud, and this goes for people being, you know, attacked or sexually assaulted, if you can actually draw attention to it, it very often is a very good way of stopping it happening. Um, there are practical things. If you know that when you sit down at the end of the playground or in the bathroom at break time, you're going to be targeted, put things in place to keep yourself safe. Go to the bathroom during class, speak to the teachers and make sure that they understand this child needs to be allowed to go. So put things in place and give children the skills to actually be able to say what they need to say to the right people and encourage them to get adult help because often bullying can't be dealt with on their own. And just building up their sense of self-esteem, even something very simple like walking up straight and holding yourself in a certain way gives the other person a sense that this is not somebody to be messed with. So very simple things like that. And then as one talks, often you learn about um, things that are contributing to it, whether it is self-esteem or the need to fit in with the group, and you can then work with that. And if you can uh, strengthen their sense of self and their sense of pride, it might make a huge difference. 
And Morag, when you see an adult who experiences bullying in your practice? Strangely, almost a bit similar <laughs> in a lot of ways. The terminology is different. Mm. Um, but first of all, again, to talk through their understanding of events. Sometimes they come in with something completely different and aren't actually realizing that what they're dealing with is bullying. But to get a history, um, to understand what the underlying template is that they're working with and examine the relationships past and present. Again, we educate them and kind of find what tools they need. If it is somebody in a work environment, we do need to be slightly more careful because it could result in somebody losing a job. And sometimes that needs to happen. If your mental health is at stake, it is possibly something that you need to be aware of and actually be making plans to get out of. It's not always easy, but I think number one is to make sure that they can keep themselves safe. So don't go into the office on your own. Insist that you take somebody with you. Um, simple things like that. But then on another level, one good example is of an adult, lovely, very, very proficient artist, lovely, lovely woman. She had grown up in, on a farm. And I think from what she says, well, I'm pretty much sure from what she says that mom had mental health problems. Um, very, very severely depressed, really didn't look after her at all, was very selfish and nasty in a lot of ways. And kind of everybody knew this, but you know, didn't think about the impact on the children by the sounds of it. Luckily, there was a nanny, and the nanny kind of was the stand-in for mom, thank goodness, and, and really was hugely important in this woman's life. But to this day, mom would phone her up, and she would whine and, you know, feel so sorry for herself. And in doing that, she guilted her daughter who was relatively wealthy and had a good lifestyle, it was bullying to get her to do whatever she wanted, to come and visit or give her something or whatever. And we started exploring the where she'd grown up and what template she'd been working on because that was continuing to allow mom to bully her into doing whatever she wanted. And I think that's the end result with an adult is to look at the past, what has actually happened that allows us to be bullied and to then slowly start understanding how we undo that and set our boundaries. Yeah, once again, that shows how illuminating it is to speak to you about this because I think often one wouldn't even consider the possibility that, that your parent could have been bullying you. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, they might not have interpreted it as such, um, the parent, yes. um, or they might very well know, and unfortunately that child has just grown up in a bad situation, but never thought as an adult that what is happening, the, the interaction, is actually bullying that is, that is going on. And any tools that can help adults deal with bullying apart from what you mentioned? I think just helping a person to tease out what's what and get a clear picture and then educating the person about bullying, um, educating them in terms of 
that fight or flight response, understanding what's happening in the brain when the brain perceives something as dangerous. And that is what happens when we're bullied. Um, the bully is aiming to harm us and the brain understands that. And we then either go into a fight or flight situation in order to keep ourselves safe. Helping the person to understand themselves what their buttons are that are being pressed and how to read the warning signs well in advance um, and then act rather than react when we understand that is a really, really useful tool. So education, again, is all important. Explaining that fight or flight response and also teaching the person just to take time. Don't respond in haste. Take a deep breath, maintain your calm, and then act rather than react. And I think just taking that time very often throws the bully off kilter. Do you have a last comment on bullying? I think that the old Chinese saying for me is, is very powerful. If I leave anything in people's minds and hearts, it's that, quote, some people try to be tall by cutting off the heads of others. I think the other thing is to remember that behind the smile, there is often a knife that is waiting to be dug in. People who bully, especially in corporate environments, can do things with a smile, but you know when your back is turned, there's a knife. Mm. And I think those are the most important aspects around bullying that, that stick with me. Thank you, Morag. Where can people learn more about your work? I have a website, and it is basically my name, www, and it's M-O-R-A-G-S-C-O-R-D-I-L-I-S dot C-O dot Z-A. Yes, I'll attach the link to the podcast and then you also work online, don't you? I do, yes. I do face-to-face and online. And just for our listeners, Morak has mentioned brain working recursive therapy. On my website, there's another podcast with her specifically on brain working recursive therapy and dealing with anxiety. Now, Morak, for your three best tips on dealing with Bullying, please. Right. So I think number one is know yourself. If we know what we react to, if we know what our buttons are that people can press, you have your first tool in your toolbox. It is your best weapon to know yourself, to know how you respond, to know how certain things impact on you. And then the second thing is to just take your time. Do not ever allow anybody to rush you. Do not allow yourself to be rushed. Take time, be thoughtful and act rather than react. I've learned that over many, many years, sitting in courts in front of opposing attorneys, just actually in situations where people have tried to force my hand and bully me, do not be rushed. And then thirdly, just know what the best strategies are for dealing with bullies. 
have a look at what tools there are that you can use and know what they are. Have them kind of in the back of your mind. And in those moments when you take your time, bring them to mind and that enables you to act rather than have a knee-jerk reaction. Thank you. And now can I ask you a fun question? You can. <laughs> now, I've known you a while, Morag, and I think you really know the heart of a child. My question is, if you could write a bedtime story for preschool children, that's now a story with animal characters, which animal do you think would make a wonderful main character? Oh, so many. Um, I think maybe a hedgehog. Mm. Because they are both, they have a protective layer that they can push out if they need to. And they can be quite vulnerable because there are no little quills on their tummy. And they're just so gorgeously cute. And they're little. And I think we can underestimate little people. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Morak, for helping me and I hope many of the listeners really understand bullying. I mean, it has so many ways in which, which it happens that I never considered. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.